Okay, welcome back everybody. Thanks for joining today. Uh, this is Greg Lois and today we're going to be talking about uh, New York independent medical examinations and record reviews in New York. So thanks for joining in today. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun and uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, so let's talk really quickly about what we're going to go over today. Uh, in New York, uh, record reviews, independent medical examinations are hugely important uh, in being successful in defending claims and making sure you're keeping body parts and consequential injuries out of cases. So I'm going to talk to you sort of my tips and tricks, uh, the best practices that we've developed over the last 20 years for getting the most out of your IMEs uh, and really being successful with record reviews. Uh, the other thing we're going to talk about today is, and this is going to be a little bit of a brief commercial, is a charitable organization that we've partnered up with this year and we're really excited about. Now, this is always live, so please ask me your questions as we go through. You can type them into the box and I'll answer as many questions as I can today. All right, I promised you a quick commercial. Uh, let me jump into that right now. This is something that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, this is the Challenged Athletes Foundation. You know, what we do every day in defending employers and defending employment is really about restoring the dignity of work. And, you know, there's also other factors that complicate people's return to the workplace, and often that is psychosocial factors. Uh, the Challenged Athletes Foundation is really about getting adaptive uh, sports equipment, such as adaptive wheelchairs. It's about providing grants to disabled athletes so they'll have an opportunity to compete. And it's about uh, offering them support, such as uh, coaching that they'll need uh, in order to return to a life of sport. And we just think this is a really great charity that we came alongside this year. Uh, and we are now in the process of holding a fundraiser for them this weekend. So uh, September 25th, we are hosting a 5K walk run uh, right here in Paramus, New Jersey for the Challenged Athletes Foundation. And I just want to invite everybody to participate that wants to participate. Uh, it's a great fundraiser for a great charity. Uh, you can participate by actually walking or running in the fundraiser uh, event. Uh, if you do that, uh, please come. We're going to have so much fun. We rented out a brewery to have a little bit of an after party and we've got a food truck coming. So please come and do this uh, easy 5K walk. We've got about 18 of the challenged athletes who are actually going to be participating alongside the 70 plus Lois Law Firm members. Uh, so you can easily go to a web page and uh, register for this event. Uh, there's a QR code right now on your screen that you can utilize to register for the event. Uh, or you can just Google uh, Lois Calf Walk and we'll come up. Uh, you're welcome to come to the event. And maybe you can't come to the event. Maybe you're on the other side of the country. I get that. Uh, there's also a donate button. And the firm through the event is going to be matching all donations, which means all your donations are essentially doubled uh, for this really great charity. So I uh, hope to see everybody on Saturday. Uh, if you can't make it, you can always donate. Uh, and, and we're going to keep doing this. What, what a great opportunity to really uh, welcome people back, uh, not just to work as they uh, transition from their injuries, but also back to the world of sport and helping them re-socialize and come back out. So uh, a really great thing we're really proud of. All right, let's get into today's topic. So today we're here to talk about when to get independent medical evaluations. And then we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts. What am I looking for in an evaluation? Uh, what should you be expecting? How can we make get better independent medical evaluations in our New York workers' compensation cases? Well, I'm always uh, looking for these evaluations to help me move a case, help me develop some leverage uh, towards resolving the case, or 
addressing a very specific issue that's arisen in the case. Now, when do you get an independent medical examination? Well, the first time you're going to get one generally is when you've been directed to by the court. Uh, this can happen where the claimant goes out and gets their own medical impairment opinion. Uh, for example, they get a C-4.3, and then the court orders you to get your own responsive medical evaluation so that issue of permanency uh, can be addressed. But there's other times uh, when an independent medical evaluation is going to be necessary. For example, uh, you're trying to establish that the claimant has reached maximum medical improvement. Uh, they've reached the maximum benefit of curative care, and there really isn't going to be a need for any additional treatment. Uh, remember, in New York, as of 2017, we are now getting a credit for temporary disability after the first 130 weeks in a loss of wage earning capacity case. There is now a temp credit. Uh, however, in order to uh, qualify for that temp credit, you've got to show that the uh, claimant reached maximum medical improvement, and you can expect some litigation around that. So, you know, other times that you're going to want to get that IME is when the claimant's approaching that 130-week mark. And I know if you're practicing in other jurisdictions uh, or adjusting risk in other jurisdictions, you'll say, Greg, 130 weeks is two and a half years. You're telling me somebody could be temporarily disabled in New York for two and a half years? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, you could be temporarily disabled in New York technically under law forever, which is kind of crazy, uh, but we've certainly stepped in to defend cases where the claimant had been found to be temporarily disabled for five, six, seven, ten years. So establishing that right to the credit uh, is a very important use of an IMA. Next, and I think I mentioned this right at the outset, you know, challenging specific care or uh, allegations of additional consequential body parts. You know, New York is that jurisdiction where the case starts off as a left-hand case, and after several years of litigation, all of a sudden it's right elbow, right shoulder, there's a site claim as a throw-in. You know, more body parts tend to get involved in the case as it develops. So, you know, we really want to be challenging those additional body parts uh, and uh, challenging those causal relationships issues. And there it is, causal relationship. Is this injury, is this need for current care related to my workers' compensation accident? You know, are these things necessarily related? Uh, we're going to need a medical expert to testify on that. All right. What am I looking for in an independent evaluator? And, you know, I get calls constantly from uh, clients saying, Greg, who's the best uh, IME doctor that we should use in this jurisdiction? Or who are, should, do you recommend? Now, when you're making that call to counsel, uh, please understand we're going to come at this with a certain perspective, and that perspective is presenting that testimony at trial and getting the best outcome for our clients. But the other perspective I want to share is, you know, one of my first questions when a client asks me, uh, hey, Greg, who's the best evaluator? Who should I use in this case? Uh, I always say, who's on your panel or who's, who does your vendor have access to? That's like one of my first questions. And the second question is, how far out are they scheduling? Because I don't want to wait six months or two months or even 30 days sometimes for an evaluation. I really want to get an evaluation early uh, and a solid evaluation. So oftentimes when you're going to contact your attorney and say, hey, who do you recommend we use as an IME in this jurisdiction or with this judge or with this claimant or in light of this treatment that's being recommended, I often say, well, who's on your panel? What are my choices? Uh, because sometimes I'll throw out names and they aren't available to that particular client or insured. All right, so what am I looking for? Well, first, I'm looking for great qualifications. You know, I want my doctors to be board certified, fellowship trained within the specialty, the medical specialty for which they're providing an opinion. You know, for your typical uh, fracture, dislocation, soft tissue injury, I'm looking for an orthopedic surgeon in general. 
Uh, I love it when the treating physician is a general physician or a family care physician or even an emergency medicine certified physician, and they're not certified in the specialty. And I go out and I find a, a really well-certified, well-credentialed physician with great qualifications. So that's really my first step. Now, generally speaking, you're going to be able to get access to the curriculum vitae, the resumes, essentially, of the medical professionals you're using. And you're going to get that through your vendor, your medical vendor that's usually providing you your medical panel. And that's really step one. If you're not certain about the provider, it's always fair uh, to reach out to your vendor and say, um, can I take a look at their CV? Can we learn about uh, other uh, areas where they've testified recently so that we can start to get some information about that physician? Next, I want a thorough and competent evaluation. You know, the claimant's going to come into these evaluations. Uh, they are going to give a bunch of subjective complaints. They're going to say, it hurts everywhere, doctor. I can't do anything. All I can do is lay lay down. I'm in such deep pain. And so we're really going to need uh, a good physical uh, uh, examination, and it should be objective. I'm expecting the doctor to take their own measurements. I'm expecting when they're doing range of motion to do things like use clinometers. I'm expecting them to comparing one side to the contralateral side, the affected side to the unaffected side. I'm really looking for a technically proficient examination. And just remember, you know, if you go onto YouTube, and I'm sure we all do this on the weekends for fun, right? When you go onto YouTube on the weekends, just type in how to prepare for your physical exam or how to prepare for your New York independent medical exam. And you will find not just one, not just two, but dozens of YouTube videos prepared by plaintiff's attorneys explaining to claimants and plaintiffs uh, how best to portray their condition so that the IME physician gives them the highest finding of disability or the, the most finding of subjective complaints, okay? So that's what they're trying to do, and they are certainly prepping for this. Uh, so the only way to counter that is with a very thorough, objective uh, examination conducted by our examining physician. Next, I love it when the a physician gives a, the claimant a full questionnaire when they come to the claimant's office. And what do I mean by that? I, I, not just a, what's your name, what's your injury, a full questionnaire. Uh, what are you doing now? Are you working? Are you doing anything volunteer? Uh, what are your activities of daily living? What is your household situation like? A really good questionnaire that we can utilize later to really find out what the claimant's ability to work, what accommodations are necessary, and what they're doing in their personal life. I think those things are all important. Questionnaires should include things like, how did you get here today? Did someone drive you? Did you take the subway? Uh, were you on a bus? How did you get here? Uh, other basic questions, including what kind of work activity are you doing or pursuing? Uh, what kind of volunteer work are you doing, if any? Uh, what is your activities of daily living? What are you doing around your house? Who's taking care of you? Who's feeding you? Who's doing your shopping? All of these things are fair play in that questionnaire. Next, I want a very clear, easy to read, plain English report from my evaluator. Of course, they're gonna have to use medical jargon. And of course, they're gonna have to use references to the medical treatment guidelines, and of course, to the impairment guidelines, if that's impossible. They're called disability duration guidelines in New York. But other than that, I really expect a readable report that I can present to a judge of compensation and we can get to the conclusions and understand them. Now, the typical report is giving those subjective complaints to giving the objective findings, talking about the doctor's analysis or assessment, uh, and then if there is a need for further treatment, what that further treatment should be. If there is a need for further treatment, it should also include a time when the claimant is supposed to come back for their re-examination. In other words, an expectation of when that treatment has reached, it will reach its maximum 
maximum benefit of care. So very important uh, thing to get in there. The next thing is I want clear testimony from the uh, physician that I'm retaining. I really need them to speak well in plain English. Most of the time, the uh, testimony is going to be done over the phone. So having a good speaking voice, being able to answer questions, et cetera, in a clear and concise manner, very important. Next, when the doctor is testifying, I'm going to present our own independent evaluator for direct testimony. And often I'm just going to lead them through the report and allow them to basically restate their findings just so that we're filling out the record. If there's any aspects of their uh, findings that I think need to be elaborated upon or explained, I will ask the doctor to do that. Then I will turn the doctor over for cross-examination. Cross-examination is limited to only the topics and statements that I elicited from the doctor on direct examination. And so it's very important that the doctor hold up to this cross-examination and not go off on tangents or treasure hunts with claimant's attorneys. Claimant's attorney's goal, generally, uh, with our independent evaluators, is to try to ask them speculative questions, and oftentimes questions where the facts are presented as facts, but they're really just surmises, and to try to get the physician to either change their opinion and or respond to pure speculation. So, for example, in a typical case where our independent evaluator says, yep, he had a fractured arm, he had six months of treatment and therapy, the arm has now mended and he's able to go back to work. Uh, it's very common for the petitioner's attorney to start presenting hypotheticals to our doctor. Well, doctor, in the day you evaluated him, uh, isn't it possible that he took his pain medication that day and that's why he was so uh, able to move his arm or that's why he didn't have the objective symptoms or limitations that uh, he complained about to his doctor? That's an objection because right there, that's a speculative question. It's asking the doctor to assume something is true and then adjust their opinion based on the truth of that statement. So right there, I'm objecting. I'm saying objection, that's leading, or objection, that's speculative. Objection exceeds the boundary of the direct examination. And then we'll move on from there. And that's how we'll protect the record. I need an evaluating physician who's going to listen to me. When I make an objection, don't answer that question. Stop talking at that point. My objection is going in there. And even if the other attorney directs you to answer the question, don't answer it right? We're done. We're moving on. So it's very important to protect that uh, direct testimony and make sure that the doctor's not being called to speculate or make wild guesses or respond to hypotheticals. Uh, these cases should not involve hypotheticals. In my opinion, those are net opinions. You're just giving your opinion about made-up facts. Not necessary, not useful, doesn't help anybody move the case. So those are the things I'm looking for in an independent evaluator. And over the years, uh, we see that the evaluators, uh, the ones that are good, uh, generally meet all of these criteria. All right, next question I get often is, what can I send to the evaluator? What's the best information I need to provide to the evaluator? And we're knowing that this is in New York, so the medical records should be within the electronic docketing system, so they should be readily accessible, the treating medical records, that is. Also, this is New York, which loves forms and loves procedure, so there are very specific forms, IME3, IME4, IME5 forms, that need to be utilized when you're transmitting information to the physician, setting it and scheduling the uh, examination, and then getting that final examination report back. So you are quite limited in this jurisdiction. It needs to be done quite carefully, which is why most of our clients uh, use third parties to uh, both schedule and then prepare for the independent medical evaluations. Now, table stakes for me is, and we like to write these, uh, is a cover letter to the evaluator 
explaining, hey, this is exactly what we're looking for in this evaluation. Um, here's the body parts I need you to examine, and here's the uh, opinions that I'm soliciting from you. So we're going to be very clear about what this report, is, the point of it is. Uh, you know, if you contact your defense counsel and you say, hey, why are we getting an IME, and defense counsel can't tell you in one sentence, probably something going wrong there. You might be going off on a fishing expedition. Really, the, the reason for an IME or to challenge a consequential injury to dispute the need for some further medical care, uh, to establish that the claimant has reached maximum medical improvement, or to analyze for permanent residual disability, and that would be either a scheduled loss of use or a medical impairment for determining a loss of wage earning capacity. If your attorney can't explain to you exactly why they're doing the IME, probably something's going wrong there. That cover letter needs to be really clear, needs to explain to the evaluator why, you, why you're seeking the independent medical opinion right? It should be very clear to the doctor, here's what I'm being asked to do, so they can just go and do it for you. Next, uh, it's possible and you are allowed to present the uh, evaluator with the questionnaire that they will then request that the claimant completes in their presence. I like to do this. I think the questionnaire could be very useful. Most of the vendors that we work with, a lot of my clients, have their own questionnaires and I'm very happy to review those for them and make sure those gets transmitted. Non-medical documents should also be sent to the evaluator where it's important to the case. For example, in a return to work scenario, very important to send the new job description or the old job description perhaps to your evaluator. You know, you're asking the doctor, hey, can this person uh, work in a modified capacity or with accommodations? Can they return to some light duty here? My employer wants to bring them back. Very useful to send to the IME physician a description of that accommodated or light duty job. Now, I recognize that sometimes you can't uh, offer a light-duty job to a partially disabled claimant. Maybe you've got a union situation or a contract or some other issue, or maybe unavailability of a light-duty job. All of those things are possible, but in general, we want to transmit that to the physician. We'd also want to transmit any information that we've developed of a non-medical nature, but which would impact on the physician's findings as to residual permanent disability or causal relationship or ability to work. Oftentimes, that's surveillance video, right? And I want us to put our thinking caps on about surveillance video as well. You know, that surveillance video that we take during the typical case, that doesn't demonstrate a per se fraud. You've put a few days of surveillance on the claimant. Uh, it hasn't found them working or doing gymnastics or preparing for the Olympics. So you say, well, that's not such great video. I'm just going to ignore it. And again, that's your right. You can deep six video that you don't intend on using. Uh, video that uh, just shows the claimant going about their activities of daily living, you know, driving to the corner store, buying some lottery tickets, buying a six pack of beer and coming home. Well, not so great for demonstrating perhaps a fraud or credibility issue, but definitely good for showing that the claimant's activities of daily living are relatively unimpinged, that they can sit in a car, they can open doors, they can travel on their own. You know, the, the kinds of subjective things that the claimant's going to claim that they're not able to do will often be demonstrated in those surveillance videos. So very useful. Um, in addition, surveillance video that, uh, that documents the accident itself. I can't tell you how many accidents where the claimant alleges, you know, they slipped and fell and then a ladder fell on them and they got concussion and they can't move, they can't work for two years. And you watch the surveillance video from within perhaps the warehouse or the retail location and you see a very minor injury in which their head was ne never struck anything and you say, well, this is something I absolutely want my evaluator to see. They're going to be able to clearly identify that there was no head strike in this case and that this TBI or concussion claim isn't possible. You know, so those are other opportunities to bring in. 
Uh, now, I just want to remind everyone that when the evaluator testifies, we are very limited in how much and how we can prepare them. I am disallowed by the court rules in New York from doing specific uh, testimony preparation with my independent medical evaluator. I can't run them through a model cross-examination. I can't go through their answers and tell them which ones I'm going to ask them to elaborate on or not. And the idea here is really to keep everybody honest and to keep the system as objective as you can. But it really does limit our ability uh, on, the, on the behalf of the defense uh, to make sure that our evaluator sticks uh, to the uh, conversation that we really want to have with them on the record. So this is just something to be very mindful of, that even though we can send them this information, we are limited in how much we can privately pre prepare them. All of the information that I've just identified, cover letter, questionnaire, non-medical documents, and surveillance video, if we present it to our evaluating physician to either further their opinion or testimony, we also have to present it to the other side, meaning claimant's counsel. And that's why the cover letter needs to be relatively objective. It cannot be leading or suggestive. Uh, any questionnaires, non-medical documents, be careful about what you send there because once you submit it to the evaluating physician, it's going to lose all surprise value. Oftentimes, we'll have great surveillance video, which does show the claimant uh, getting ready for the Olympics and going to the gym and doing all the things that they claim they can't do. Well, in those circumstances, I'll tell you, don't send that to the evaluator, because as soon as you do, the surprise value of that surveillance video has been compromised. What are the downsides to independent medical examinations? I've already talked about a few of them, but I want to be very clear for everybody in this discussion uh, so that when we... Uh, uh, have questions about why we should or should not do an IME, uh, let's make sure we get we flesh that out. Now, one of the first ones is, again, no private communication allowed with the evaluator. And that's not just the attorneys, uh, that's also you, the risk professional, the adjuster or, or the representative of the insured. And that really means uh, when you send the claimant out for an independent medical examination, all the parties are going to have notice that, that the examination occurs, and we are not going to have any opportunity to have any private discussions or try to persuade uh, or color uh, the opinion of that expert. Next thing is the results of this examination are going to shared, be shared simultaneously and with all parties within 10 days of the evaluation. So this is unlike other jurisdictions where perhaps you're used to getting an uh, independent medical examination draft report sent to your counsel, and you're able to sort of uh, look at the draft report, talk to your independent evaluator, tell them which parts maybe should be accentuated, which parts should maybe be left out. You're not allowed in any way to shape this report. So really, once we've committed to an independent medical examination, we're committed uh, to what that evaluator is going to say, and that's going to be very difficult for us to uh, contradict uh, our own evaluator in regards to their opinion. Now, you can get an addendum to an independent medical examination in New York. Uh, again, that would be by way of written request to the physician saying, hey, uh, we told you to review the right wrist and the right knee, and you reviewed the right wrist, but you forgot to look at the person's right knee. I need an addendum report from you identifying your findings as to the right knee. You know, Typically, the addendum is meant to bring something out that was maybe left out of the report, uh, but you got to use these things sparingly. Uh, the addendums, if they're attempting to try to change what the phys uh, physician is finding, are really not going to be given much credibility. The other suggestion I'll give you about addendums is they are very useful when new information, perhaps new medical information, has come in after the date of that physical examination and that original IME. So that is a great opportunity then to use the addendum. 
Uh, remember, the independent medical examination is a slow process, uh, particularly in New York where these doctors, if we don't have a, a huge ton of uh, independent medical examiners, particularly in some specialties, and you may have to wait some period of time in order to get your evaluation scheduled. Some doctors, this is September, are telling us that they're scheduling out in February. So that's a long time to wait for an opinion. <clears throat> the last thing I'm gonna point out is that an independent medical examination does require claimant cooperation. They've gotta come in there and tell the truth. They've gotta be objective about what they're telling the physician. And as I stated earlier, They've been watching the YouTube videos. Their attorneys have been sending them to watch these things as to how to mislead the independent medical examiner. So, you know, to the extent that the claimant is going to try to portray themselves as more disabled than they are in order to keep the gravy train growing, it is really going to impact our ability to defend this case and our ability to defend on the unbiased opinion of that medical evaluator. Uh, the last thing I want to point out is, and as I had said earlier, there's a lot of steps in the selection and obtaining a independent medical examination, and particularly the filing of specific board forms, such as the IME-3 or IME-5, some of which need to be copied on all parties, including the claimant's treating physicians. Lots of opportunity for mistakes there, lots of opportunity for the adversary or opposing counsel to argue that our independent medical examination should be uh, precluded from the case, usually for some very basic technical defect. Now. How do you get around that? First, we gotta be very careful about how we schedule these. You can have counsel participate in that. We're very happy to help with that. But some point or some number of these IMEs are getting precluded for purely technical defects. Not that the opinion's wrong, uh, it's just that maybe one party didn't get served simultaneously with another, uh, or the wrong party was served by accident. So very, very, very small mail service type of errors can result in your IME report being precluded which is a real problem in this jurisdiction. All right, what can we do about missed IMEs is a very common question I get in New York. And the answer is that, generally speaking, we advise clients that the first time the claimant misses an IME, for whatever reason, and by the way, sometimes they don't even have a good reason as to why they're missing our IMEs, uh, we counsel clients, just go ahead and reschedule a second one. Because if I go before a judge and they say, judge, suspend benefits, throw them out of court, they're failing to prosecute their own case, they missed our IME, the judge will go, how many did they miss? I said, one. The judge is going to say, okay, just schedule another IME, Greg. I'm not going to preclude the case for that, right? So, you know, common sense is we, we, we're trying to avoid unnecessary hearings. So generally speaking, when the claimant misses that first IME, we're telling our clients to just go ahead and schedule the second one uh, because most times the judge is going to uh, allow that. They're very lenient about a missed IME. Now, the times when they won't be lenient is after they've missed that second one. Now you filed your RFA, your request for further action. It's kind of like a motion in court. You've said, Judge, I need you to order to direct this claimant to attend the IME. And, Judge, you need to put in that order. If they don't attend, they're precluded on this issue of causal relationship or the body part they're trying to establish or their, their nature and extent of residual or temporary disability. Um, oftentimes the judges will just say, I'll direct the, the IME. If they then fail to attend, you could file another request for action saying now benefits should be suspended or that issue should be found in favor of the carrier or the insured or the employer. And oftentimes that will prevail. So there is an opportunity to do it, but generally speaking, the judges will let them get at least one bite at the apple, and that first IME they miss, in general, they're gonna allow them to sort of make that up. All right, 
can you force a functional capacity evaluation in New York? I love functional capacity evaluations, uh, particularly the computerized ones with the video, uh, where they set up the job duties for the claimant and have them demonstrate that they can or cannot do those job duties. Uh, so can we force it? The answer is no, not initially, uh, but we can request that our IME physician request an IME, an FCE, excuse me. So we can, in our cover letter to the independent medical evaluator, we can say, um, dear wonderful physician evaluator, would your opinion be strengthened? Would you like to take into account the results of a functional capacity evaluation? And many times the evaluators say, yeah, sure, I would like a functional capacity evaluation. The issue here is what is the person's objective strength? Uh, what is their work capacity? I would love to see that. So then you can have the IME doctor in their report say, here are my findings. However, these are preliminary. I'd like to review a functional capacity evaluation. Now, the claimant has the right to go out and get their own functional capacity evaluation, but we don't have to pay for it. They would have to pay for that on their own. And so I really don't see my adversaries object to this. And in fact, I've made many arguments to the judges of compensation that, hey, this is a very necessary, very scientific, and very objective way of determining the person's actual working ability. And by the way, judge, my independent evaluator wants to review it as well. And we've been successful in getting those ordered. Um, the IME then should review the functional capacity evaluation. That's how you're going to get that functional capacity evaluation into the court record. And in case you're wondering if there's case law support, no, but there are um, uh, statements on the board's website indicating that functional capacity evaluations should be required where a physician is requesting them. And so that's our authority uh, for requesting that uh, these be done. Now, let's shift gears here and talk a little bit uh, we've talked, I think, through pretty much our considerations for an independent medical examination. Let's talk about record reviews. When do and why do we want to get a record review? Well, you want to get it when a physical examination is generally not necessary. Uh, sometimes we're just reviewing the need for a specific treatment, perhaps, in a case. Uh, getting a records review is just more effective. Uh, another time I'd want to get a records review, I mean, obviously in a death case. There's no body to evaluate. If there has been a forensic study or pathologist report or an autopsy done, I'm just going to want to provide that to my forensic evaluator and get that reviewed by way of a record review. Another time we use them, for example, is in opiate weaning cases, in which it's not really important uh, to hear the person's subjective complaints. Uh, we know they're going to complain that they're in so much pain that they need to be on massive doses of synthetic heroin for the rest of their life. You know, not necessary. I don't need them to go see the expert for that. Instead, I'll have the expert review the records and see something very simple. Hey, they've been on massive doses of these opiates for a long period of time, and they functionally are not improving. Therefore, they should be weaned pursuant to the guidelines, right? So that's another example of when a records review might be more useful than perhaps getting an independent medical examination. Um, so I would consider that when you're looking for an advisory opinion. Um, another and, and remember, when you get a records review, you don't have to necessarily submit the record or the report that you obtain to the court or to your adversary. So again, uh, you could, uh, and if you're exploring the need for a specific treatment, that's a great opportunity to get an outside record review and then determine later if you're going to rely on it or not. Um, next. Uh, issues of treatment, I mean, particularly where they're experimental or costly or, or where we're doing repeat surgeries and you're not certain if this is the right way to go, that's an opportunity to get our records review. Uh, generally, I don't like them for causal relationship issues. Uh, is something related to something else? In those circumstances, I generally want the claimant to give their complaints and their story as to how they believe this body part or consequential injury is causally related, and then allow my physician the opportunity to ask them some pointed questions and perform their own physical examination. 
Um, and generally speaking, I don't like it for permanency reports either. You know, the only time I would uh, do this is where, you know, the only issue is medical impairment um, uh, or disability duration. Maybe the claimant's in another state. Uh, maybe there's some extenuating circumstances. But in general, I don't want a records review when the issue is scheduled loss of use or permanent residual disability medical impairment for the purposes of establishing a loss of wage earning capacity. So those are the times when I would want to get uh, a records review. Uh, just remember, a records review is generally a lot cheaper and generally a lot quicker than going through the full IME process. The other benefit of that uh, records review, of course, is you're under no obligation to provide it to the court unless you're going to rely on it. And then there are court rules that say it needs to be provided to all parties three days prior to the court proceeding. But again, that's much easier to comply with than the rules regarding uh, uh, getting an independent medical examination. It's relatively rare for a records review to be precluded on procedural grounds. All right, I think that covers both independent medical exams and when to get record reviews. Let's turn this over to your questions. I'm opening up my laptop here uh, to see what kind of questions we have. All right, I don't see any yet, so maybe people are typing really quickly. Uh, but if you haven't typed it in yet, and I'm going to close this out soon, um, that's okay. You can always email me or call me after this presentation. All right, let me just go right back over into that questions panel. I don't see any questions. Uh, great. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today. I can't wait to see you next time. Uh, again, thanks for participating. If you have any questions or concerns, give me a ring or send me an email. I'll be happy to discuss the issue of record reviews versus independent medical examinations with you. All right, everybody. Have a great day, and I'll see you next time.